0: Good morning everybody. Often, I haven't heard David say this, but often when preachers get up they say there are three points to a sermon. <laughs> He's mumbling here something. It's often more than that, but uh, it reminds me of a story once about um, a, a would-be preacher. He met someone who had been preaching for many years and um, he said there are always three points to a sermon. You have to have three main points and three main requirements. It needs to be moving, it needs to be soothing, and it needs to be satisfying. So some months later, this young guy met the preacher who'd been preaching for many years. And do you think, he said, do you think your sermons have this necessary three requirements? He said, well, I think they have. I was preaching at a church and undoubtedly my sermon was moving because people got up and left. As I preached, it must have been soothing because the number of people fell asleep. And he said it must have been satisfying because they never asked me again. <laughs> so I'm here again. <laughs> Perhaps you weren't satisfied. Have you ever thought about what must be one of the scariest passages in the bible there are plenty in the old testament there's walls all about walls people filing out with each other people killing each other plagues and I could go on many think that the most frightening verses in the bible might be in the book of revelation which Dave has read from this morning especially in chapter 20 where it talks about the angel throwing the dragon who was Satan or the devil into a pit for a thousand years and then the fire came down and the devil was then thrown into a lake of burning sulfur pretty scary others might refer to 2 Peter chapter 3 where Peter talks about the end of the world or perhaps Matthew 24 where Jesus describes the terrible suffering and horror of the destruction of Jerusalem and the final coming in glory and power these passages possibly disturb us because of their very powerful imagery but since they talk about things that have either already happened or things that are going to be in the future it's very easy for us just to disregard them as has been's or well one day but not now I'm going to suggest what could be the scariest passage in the Bible. We're going to read it in a minute. And when I read it, it makes me feel quite uncomfortable. And it certainly challenges me, even frightens me perhaps. And it might do for you this morning. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 38. Let me uh, just put in context. Jesus had gone to the mountainside to pray. And then he went to what Luke calls a level place and people came to him to be healed of diseases and after he'd spoken to the crowd he turned to his disciples and here we have it Luke 6 verse 27 and uh, although I'm reading from the new international version and this is the new international version on the screen we often have different versions because there are one or two words that will be different, but I think you'll get the gist of it. But I tell you, you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him on the other. If someone takes your cloak, Do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is it that you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. So, does it challenge you? Does it scare you? So, as I said, like any good preacher, you have three points. And I've got three points. But there are some sub-points in there as well. So, in this passage, there are demands. And they are personal. In the first few words of the passage, there's no mistaking to whom Jesus is talking. He says, but I say to those of you who hear. Well, There are two people involved here and one implied idea. There's Jesus speaking and he's specifying that these are his words. These are his commands. And then there's the listener, the one who was there in person. And then the implied idea that every person who reads these words, he is saying, I'm talking to you as well. He's not talking about some existentialist idea about people in general. No, he's talking directly to you and to me. He's saying if somebody who hears, if you've got capability to hear, then I am talking to you. There is the understanding here that if you claim to be a disciple, if you claim to be a believer, if you claim to be someone who calls themselves a Christian, then you are the one who hears the passage is scary because Jesus is making it very personal he's not just talking about it generally it's very easy sometimes when we read scripture to think oh yeah Jesus is talking about those people over there he's not talking about me but yes he's talking about every believer whoever you are He didn't mince his words and Jesus, if he could say things in two words, he'd say it. He wouldn't, like some of us, spend hours trying to talk about one point. He went straight to the nub of things. And he directly confronted in this passage all of his disciples. And he forces them to deal with what he is saying here. So we need to be challenged. We need to be uncomfortable because Jesus is dealing with me on a personal level. Again, it's not some sort of broad doctrinal statement, open to interpretation and fine tuning, but he's talking to us directly. Second point the demands are very radical. I looked up two commentaries on this uh, passage, and I have to admit that they spent most of the time trying to water down or rationalize the things that Jesus is saying here. No wonder. Let's look at the things the Lord is saying for his disciples to do. Firstly, love your enemies. Not just loving enemies at arm's length, like maybe not wishing them harm, or perhaps sending aid or donations to countries where we have been at war with, they are our enemies. No, he's asking our disciples to get up close, to love them. Do good to those who hate you, he says. Not just people that bug you. Perhaps people that hate you. Hate is a strong word, isn't it? Sometimes we use that where we say, I hate that person. Well, hopefully we don't hate the person. Because if we're like Jesus, and we're supposed to be like Jesus, Jesus didn't hate people. He sometimes hated their action. So I would suggest that we should love everybody Sometimes our children, There my two boys growing up, there were various things I didn't like but hopefully I still loved them but I didn't like and I hated their action. The passage also says, say good things to those who say bad things. You say good things about people who say bad things about you but is that hard to take? Some of you know I'm a football referee and I do get a bit of abuse. And I have to admit, I want to punch them in the face. (laughs) But I have to smile and pretend I haven't heard. The passage also says, pray for those who have done bad things to you in the past. People who have cheated on you. People who have lied about you. They've hurt you in some way. I wonder if you can think back to past weeks and months. Yeah, that person cheated on me. They lied. They told false truths about me. What was your reaction? Jesus said, pray for them. But that is sometimes the last thing we want to do. Have you ever been into a cathedral where sometimes they have prayer request boards and it says can you pray for my aunt who's dying of cancer or can you pray for this or can you pray for that or you know a little child may say can you pray that Christmas I'll get that toy have you ever seen a prayer request there that says can Susan would like to pray for Jane because Jane hates her have you ever seen a prayer request like that no the passage says goes on to say return good for evil, turning the other cheek, giving the cloak, don't demanding it back. What is taken away from you? Resisting the impulse of giving as good as you get or getting even. I joked with James this morning about getting even with Neil. Perhaps some um, don't realize, but um, you know, on a Sunday morning, Neil, like this week, put forward various songs that we were going to sing and then some spare ones as well and I've got them all loaded on the computer and then you probably wonder why there was a gap for a while because Keith, N- Neil decided to put in two other songs that we hadn't got ready and I'm saying to James oh I'll get even with Neil <laughs> I won't Neil it was great you had to do we followed you thank you the passage also talks about give to people even evil ones, without expecting they give anything back to you. Jesus is commanding disciples to do this. Years ago, when we lived as a family in Burton-on-Trent, just near Derby, uh, we were part of a a local neighbourhood scheme where you could exchange your talents and your time for things. So if we wanted a babysitter, we'd perhaps to give many hours of something else. And... uh, One day there was a guy called Joshua and he wanted, um, for his business, he wanted a number of cassettes. Can you remember when we had cassettes? Yeah, just about. Still got loads, just haven't got a cassette player to play them on. We had lots of cassettes and this guy Joshua wanted to borrow them and he said, I will come round with my wife and we will give you so many hours to, to babysit your children and we said, great. He never did. We never got those cassettes back. When we confronted him, he denied he never had them. Well, internally, I'm getting angry. I'm getting angry. Anna isn't the one who gets angry. And she's beside me, pretty me, in the back. Martin, stop it, stop it. Just don't do it. I wanted to get even with him. Still to this day, we've never had about 20 cassettes back. Probably quite good because I couldn't play them anyhow. The passage also talks about being merciful. To our enemies we should do good. To all we should be merciful. He says we're not to judge or condemn. We're to be forgiving. Sometimes our family, our offspring and our friends hurt us, don't they? They disappoint us. They annoy us. What's our reaction? Do we judge them? I'm afraid sometimes I have to admit that I've done that and I'm sure we all have. But this passage said we shouldn't do that. We are to forgive them. And that's really hard, isn't it? Years ago when in Burton-on-Trent, we were there for 14 years and I set up a branch of the YMCA and we had six big community projects. We had a lot of housing for 16 to 21-year-olds and uh, one, we had 20 flats in, in one area, and 25 in another, and uh, we had a, a manager living on site. And in, in one place, I had this lady, you won't know her, so it's her name, Angela, and she was living on site. And I found out as her boss a few weeks later, she'd been doing things that weren't very good, that weren't very right. And sadly, I had to start a disciplinary process and I had to give her a verbal warning. She didn't like that at all, but I felt it was right and I was following procedure. I went to London one day for a training course when I came back that night I had a a phone call from one of my staff members we had about nine staff and I had a phone call from our staff members Gordon and he said do you realise while you were away today Angela called a meeting of all the staff I said no why did she do that she wanted to complain about you and to put a complaint from all the staff to the board I said How many people turned up to that staff meeting? Gordon said, none of us, because we didn't feel that what she was doing was right. Next morning, I said to Anna, my wife, I'm going round there to see Angela. Anna said, sit down. What are you going to say to her? And that was probably one of the best conversations I've ever had. She calmed me down. I did go round and talk with her. I'll get out. But hopefully this day, if she was here, she'd say, you didn't get even with me, Martin, etc. But that was hard to take. I had to forgive her and love her. And it was the last thing I wanted to do. Forgiveness is an automatic response that we should have to people who harm us. Yes, it's automatic. Loving our enemies and being merciful to everyone is very radical, isn't it? Forgiveness removes from our lives the reason or excuse or rationalisation for revenge of any kind. It makes us vulnerable, doesn't it? To those who would insult us or take advantage of us. The idea that our only response to evil should be good, not violence, not threats, or any other evil action, goes against the human form. We can see what fighting with fire has done. We only have to look at Russia, Ukraine, North Korea, South Korea, Iran, India, Pakistan. Where does that get us? Nowhere. True forgiveness sees us always being obliged to forgive and seek reconciliation. Whether the other person has asked for it or deserved it or not. That's crazy, isn't it? And it's not a notion that as humans we normally consider. For me to do that always would involve a radical change in my life. I hope I'm getting there, but I'm far from perfect because often as a human being, the thoughts that come to mind, that is not right. I need to tell you it's not right or I need to make me a re- revenge. But that's not what this passage says. Whatever is thrown at us, Love the person. There are times when I want to feel I get even. I don't want someone to hurt me without paying some kind of price for it. I need to feel secure that that person won't insult or hurt me again. I will forgive. But often only if that person says, I repent and I'm sorry. Okay, then I'm ready to give, forgive. Forgive. But the changes that Jesus has asked for are radical because they strike at every chord of my pride and my security as a human being. They ask me to, humble, it asks me to humble myself, to be completely vulnerable and take on a gentleness and forgiving nature that is completely foreign. And the third reason why perhaps the passage is the most scariest for me in the Bible is it's impossible or is it we may have grasped these ideas in our heads but have we actually connected reality of what this passage means they're not just words but actions which are needed can you say good things about people who have said bad things about you Can you do nothing if someone slaps you in the face? If they insult your wife or your children or your husband, can you do nothing? Can you turn the other cheek? Years ago, when my children were young, we were in Brixham. um, We'd rented a house with another family. And one day... We all seem to like speed, well Anna doesn't, but everybody else likes speed in our household. So I took my kids go-karting. I have to admit they were probably a bit young and it was probably because I wanted to do it really. <laughs> so we went go-karting in Brixham and uh, I w- there weren't enough carts to go around. There were four carts, six carts. I had to wait for the next one. So two of them, two of my children went in uh, one lot with four other people who were a lot older and they set off... And I realised that these four older ones, all they were doing was trying to um, stop everybody else going. And every time my sons went, they tried to cut them up and all the rest. I'm on the side, seething, absolutely seething. Firstly, I've paid good money and they're cutting my children up. How dare they? And when they came off, before they came off, Anna said to me, Martin, just relax. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. Oh, she's a merciful wife. (laughs) I wanted to go up and I wanted to bang them. I did. I said nothing for fear of embarrassing my children as well. But I wanted to get even with them. I travel around the UK a lot with my work and sometimes I'm a city where at traffic lights or where you're queuing, there are people holding up a bit of cardboard and it often says, I'm homeless or I'm sick and in need of money. I'm always torn as to what to do. How do I love that person, as Luke says? I come from the point of view that if I was sick and had no money, if I was homeless, I'd want someone to help me. So should I help that person? Well, I can't really stop the car at the traffic lights and get out. And there's the other thing, that if I gave them money how do I know that it's not going to be on drugs or alcohol or something else and there was a situation a few years ago when I was coming back I was at Woking Station late at night and I don't know why I was at Woking Station I was there on my own and, uh, and it went to for a train and uh, there was a, a, a lady in her 30s sitting there saying I'm hungry and poor can you give me any food and I have to admit I walked past her and then I came back and I thought, if she really is hungry and food, I need to give her something. But I thought, having worked in that area, I didn't give her any money. But I went down the road to where there was a coffee machine. And I bought her a coffee and brought it back and gave it her. Whether she wanted a cup of coffee or not, at least she had one. Perhaps she just wanted the money. I'm not saying I'm any better than anybody else. But that's what Christ asked us to do. I believe in this passage that Jesus is weeding out true disciples from the fakes you might think that's controversial but hear me out there are four types of people I believe he's talking about he's implying that the person who hears these words and thinks he's already doing them or can do them is a real self-righteous fool yeah I can do that no problem but is he living in dreamland? And the second person who hears these words and think that they're impossible to do and stops believing in the Lord. He is the one who has no faith. The third person is the one who hears the words, ignores them and calls himself a Christian anyway. He's perhaps a hypocrite. He's saying, ah, Jesus didn't really mean that. That's for somebody else, not for me. And the fourth person who hears the words sees that they are beyond him or her and cries out to God for help. This is the person who truly hears. This is the person who truly understands. This is the true disciple, I believe. Do you remember the words of the father whose son was ill and nobody could cure him? Jesus said, if you believe, and the father says, I believe, but help my disbelief. I believe but help my disbelief can you not just hear the cry of anguish from that father okay I believe I believe anything please take care of my son what's he saying I know I have to believe but I can't get there I can't get there Lord so please help me to get there and believe these last words and thoughts are perhaps what we have to do I know at times what I have to do and I struggle to bring myself to do it and I'm sure I'm not alone in this room. Jesus gives these words in Luke 6, what I feel to weed out the fakes and the hypocrites and the fools, to say, if you're my true disciple, I want you to love your enemies. Jesus is also giving us a glimpse of the kingdom that he wants to develop in us. It's a preview, I believe. These words represent a person who is totally dependent on God, totally vulnerable as we all are, totally removed from this world while we're still in it, and totally filled with love for others without any regard for self. These words show the pure spirit of Christ as he was and as we can become through him. When Christ says these words he's holding up an image and he's saying I think to you and to me in the future, this is who I want you to be and this with your faith in me who I will enable you to be. When I spoke two weeks ago and some of you here, we talked about faith and if you remember on the screen I put up the, the letters F-A-I-T-H, forsaking all, I trust him. And he's not saying I oh, want to love your enemies on your own, I will help you to do that. Have faith that I will do that. If you call on my name to help you in those situations when people have done wrong to you, when people have cheated to you, when people have lied to you. Jesus didn't resist the devil, the evil he was sent to bear. He forgave those who hated him. Wow. People hated Jesus so much that they put him to death on the cross. But what did he do? He loved them. Is there anything in your and my life that's as bad as being put to death on the cross? I'd suggest not. And if Jesus, our example, and our saviour can do it, he asks us to do it. Love your enemies. Jesus is challenging his disciples to believe that with God, All things are impossible, even the impossible. In a world without law and order, it would be impossible to be as vulnerable as this passage says. We'd be killed, wouldn't we? We'd be robbed, we'd be crushed immediately. But God has provided law and government to protect, regardless of whether we think they're any good. There are laws in place to protect us. And that law protects us as Christians not perfect it's not evenly distributed law probably but it's free and it's there Christians cannot seek revenge no we shouldn't seek revenge but we can seek protection under the law and we have a right to fair justice that God has provided Jesus has provided for everyone living in this world so we can practice the love of enemies and the doing of good within the context and the protection of law and order in a world where we have to provide for ourselves freely giving without demanding a return this would be foolish and costly but God's promise is to us that he'll provide not only for our needs but for our acts 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8 says and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I'm always grateful, I shouldn't be grateful, very thankful to God that when Jesus was taken to heaven, God didn't say, there you are, carry on, you're all on your own now. He gave us the Holy Spirit to enact. So when he asks us to love our enemies, He says, I will help you to do it, but have faith and trust in me. When was the last time you said, I'm sorry? Or please forgive me? Or I forgive you? When did that cost you as much as it cost Jesus on that cross? If you're ever in a situation where someone has harmed you and you're working on the strength to be able to forgive them, just compare what happened to you to what happened to Jesus. And I would suggest there is no comparison. Luke 6 has these words that are impossible to do without Christ. But with Christ, they are possible. And perhaps you could tell stories of instances where you have bit your tongue, not literally hopeful, where you've bit your tongue and you've tried to love that person even though everything about it says, "Mm, they shouldn't have done that, I didn't like it. And that has been the Holy Spirit in you, giving you the power and the strength and changing your mind to be able to do that you see these words are impossible for the earthly human being you and I but we have Christ on our side I believe that Lord is sorting out his followers and is continually doing this he, he was weeding out his apostles and those people in the first century but the work of weeding out of pruning continues he prunes churches I believe He prunes individuals. He prunes you and he prunes me. I'm not the same person that I was yesterday. I'm not the same person I was half an hour ago because cells have died and new cells have been created. I'm certainly not the person I was 40 years ago, thank goodness. Hopefully, I'm in a better place. And hopefully, because I've allowed Christ or I've wanted Christ to work within me. That work is happening about pruning. if we could just kind of get our life into this context that everything that happens in our lives is taking place because of the sovereignty and the authority and the knowledge of God do we believe that God is sovereign and God should have authority in our lives total authority not just those bits that we allow him to come into but all of it how is it serving us as development in our development as kingdom dwellers? Yes, we are kingdom dwellers. That's the question we need to ask. Not, oh dear, because of this I can't do any more and I can't do this anymore in the world, or I can't achieve this objective. We mustn't forget that's not what we're about. Scripture says it very clearly that we're living in the kingdom. Everything that happens to us, what we're doing, should be about building the kingdom. However, have you ever thought that God uses you as an example? So if you have someone who has hurt you, who has lied to you, has cheated on you, has taken things from you, and you have loved them, that is an example. Certainly to someone who isn't a Christian. Because they wouldn't expect you to do that. Sometimes people say things to you to rile you, to wind you up because they want a reaction. And if you don't react, that's an example of true love that comes from Jesus. So you, by loving your enemies, can be an example. How often have we seen miracles in the world and things like that? And that has been an example and brought someone to faith. I had the privilege a few years ago of listening to John Wimber, who founded the Vineyard Church in London, in Westminster Central Hall. And I went to listen. And at the end of the time, he asked for people to come who wanted healing and prayer. And this man brought his daughter up, aged 11. And he didn't believe And he said, my daughter has been blind from birth. I want you, I want Jesus to heal her. You know where this is going, don't you? That night, her sight was restored. The man broke down in tears in front of John Wimber and in front of a few thousand people and said, I now believe that Jesus must have done that. I want to give my life to Jesus by you loving your enemies by doing things that they unexpected will bring Jesus to them because of your example and your lifestyle so do you feel comfortable then as I close with these words in Luke 6 do you want to quit and say Jesus there's no way I can do that so cheerio face behind me I don't believe in you anymore Do you actually hear the words from Luke 6? Are you saying, though, Lord, help me? Help me to be able to do these things. It's impossible for me to do them, but I believe it's possible with you. Jesus gives us that scary passage. Those are my words. He gives us a difficult moment, so we'll be forced to let go of the possible and the probable. Let go of the fear. That we have in this world and cling to Him, forsaking all, I trust Him. Be radical. Do the impossible with God's help. Love your enemies and those who wrong you by deed, by word, by action. If you need Him for the impossibles in your life, and we all do, and I'm sure we've seen that many times then ask our Father God to turn the impossible into the possible. Love our enemies. Luke 6 doesn't say it's an option. It doesn't say if you've got nothing else to do. It's a command. And if we want to follow the way of our Lord Jesus Christ and to be his disciples, what he said to those first disciples in Luke 6, we need to follow suit and do that. Are you willing this morning to say, I will do, Jesus, as you have commanded me this very day? Let's pray. We thank you, Father God, for those words in Luke 6 that Jesus spoke to his disciples even if we find them troublesome, we find them scary and we find them really challenging. Father, if we're to follow you and the example of your son Jesus, then we have to take on board not just the things we like, sometimes the things that we don't like, but the things that we're told to do when we become a disciple of Jesus. let's just pause for a moment and if there are things that you need to say to your father this morning please do in this quietness if there are people that you need to forgive there are people who you've had a barrier of anger because of something they've done to you perhaps you need to ask for forgiveness and you need to seek the Lord's help in doing that perhaps there are people this very day you need to ring up you need to go and see this week and forgive them and say I didn't like what you did to me but I love you We thank you Father God that we can come to you you don't expect us to be your disciples, Jesus' disciples, on our own. But you give us the power and the strength through your Holy Spirit to be in every situation and to be in every place. You give us the Holy Spirit to help us with the words that come out of our mouth, with the actions that we do. Actions and words that are pleasing to you and not displeasing. So we ask you to help our unbelief and give us strength to love our enemies, love those who wrong us, even when we don't feel like it. We're reminded that we need to love like the person who first loved us, Jesus Christ. Lord, hear our prayers this morning. Amen.